Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Found Down podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and for listening. I so appreciate you. I also know that this podcast, you know, sometimes it's really heavy, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's educational, and just thanks for riding this out with me. You know, you probably never know what's coming, and uh, I just, I'm just so grateful for you tuning in. If you want to do me a favor, that'd be awesome, is write me a review, write an honest review of the Found Down podcast. It really does help me go up in the ranks, help the, help the podcast go up in the ranks. Currently, there are 55, four, sorry, 49 five-star reviews and one one-star. So at least I know this isn't for everybody and that's totally okay. And now a moment about our sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, critical care CNS and educator, is offering the Found Down listeners 20% off by using the coupon code lowercase found down 20 found down 20 off of all of her online courses, live Zoom courses, and books. So some of these courses include cardiac boot camp, cardiac med certification, unveiling the mysteries of mechanical ventilation. Uh, some of the books include ACE the CCRN, ACE the PCCN, and ACE the CMC, and also CSC. So there's a lot out there and available. You want, definitely want to go check out our website, NicoleCupchickConsulting.com, and use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 to get 20% off at checkout. Again, I'm using the cardiac boot camp and the knowledge that I'm learning there to help me in my practice. Like the other day, someone was having ST elevation, and I was like, man, that might be an inferior wall MI. So go ahead and take advantage of this awesome opportunity to advance your practice, enhance your skills, and feel empowered. Go to NicoleCupchickConsulting.com and use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 at checkout. All right. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson. And today I am stoked because I'm talking to SeedWorks Endowed Clinical Associate and University of Massachusetts nursing professor, Rayanne LeBlanc. Did I say that right, Rayanne LeBlanc? You did. Yep. Yep. Okay, great. That's perfect. Awesome. We're going to talk about social justice in nursing. And also Rayanne works for nursestory.org, a digital storytelling workshop for nurses. We're going to talk about hopefully the importance of storytelling and nursing. But before we do any of that, Rayanne, how are you in Massachusetts right now? How's it going? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're doing okay. Um, You know, uh, it's a hard time, right? We're still 
simultaneously have this huge hope and opportunity for vaccination and the access is still very difficult even here in uh, Massachusetts. So uh, carrying that with me um, and, you know, the, the hopes for, for so much uh, uh, in terms of health and well-being of people. But yeah, it's been hard. It's a isolating time for sure. So these uh, podcasts actually have been quite helpful, <laughs> I will say. Oh, good. Doing a lot of listening good. in general. Yeah, listening in general. Mike, I, are you teaching mostly then virtually for your students? Yeah, we have brought, uh, UMass Amherst has uh, brought back the um, freshman students to try to, in the spring semester, but for the courses I'm teaching, it's all been virtual, but I teach a lot of virtual anyway, so that has not been too big a transition. But yeah, the students are having a hard time um, with not being able to go to, you know, those who need a lot of clinical hours are having to do alternative things and um, they're, they're having to really find their way during a time when it's difficult to get clinical placements and things, but they've been doing some really creative work as well. So yeah, we're, we're all being creative, I think, in, in some ways. It is a, um, gosh, such a unique circumstance. And I've actually talked about this before on my podcast about this struggle that nursing students are having to go through and what they're looking at right now. So hopefully all the job places out there will offer nursing students a little more grace and time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm certainly going to need it. Yeah. They, and there, I, I have to say I was uh, doing a, a volunteer COVID clinic with some of our, our nursing students and uh, COVID vaccine clinic. And they've been also working at our testing center and they, um, it was just made me almost want to cry. They were, they were so professional and just, I mean, they must've given some of these students must've given thousands of shots by now because they're spending a lot of time doing that. So um, yeah, just really, really uh, showing up and being present with people and, handling people's anxiety and all those things. So there's a lot of other work, you know, besides those skills we think of that, that are being taught at this time. I just hope people recognize that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not an easy time, not an easy time to be a human, (laughs) a nursing student. Um, And, um, but yeah, it sounds like they're flexing, flexing up their skills. Yeah. So, Rayanne, I want to talk. (laughs) (laughs) I want to. The reason I asked you on the show is I really wanted to talk about social justice in nursing and why it's an important topic. And and I know you've definitely done some work uh, in that realm. So, what drew you to social justice? Yeah, I started out my my nursing career. I was a second uh, second degree student, so I had a, a humanities degree in my undergraduate degree. I went to an accelerated master's program. I mean, nursing education has changed so much, but at that time, um, and I I had a choice between acute care and community health. So you'll appreciate that, given your, your critical care background. And I um, I really had an affinity to the community and, and and wanted to understand and build trust in community spaces and preventative care. And at the same time, I, I was in school during um, the early 90s in nursing school and the AIDS and HIV uh, epidemic where really people were dying of, of HIV and AIDS in the community I was living in. And um, I really felt like 
the on the ground access. People needed so much access, and this is still the same really draw for it is. Well, it's still the same problem. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying, like holding that over over years, right? Like there, this how can we um, improve access, or how can we prevent missed care? And I've always, you know, we talk about the social determinants of health. I think sometimes to explain um, the disparities instead of saying, no, this is the space way before the health issue, way before where we can begin by addressing these structural changes. But many nurses and many healthcare systems aren't really sensitive to what, what's what's happening in all the contexts of a person's life that gets them to the place where they're in the ICU or, um, you know, all the social things that influence health. So I've always been very interested in that, but partially because of the community I was living with at the time I was uh, going to nursing school. Can you talk a little bit about that community itself? Yeah. So back in the nineties. Yeah. So Another kind of funny social justice thing was, it's not funny, but at the time I was really committed to different types of economic exchanges. So I was doing this, I was bartering so that I could have a space to live in exchange for an art studio with um, two gay men who had a home and um, a second home and they needed a private cook and they needed a dog walker. They needed these things done. And I was that person in exchange. I would get this art space, art studio space. But it was their community that was really being um, being uh, you know, affected by HIV and AIDS. And they were uh, well-to-do, obviously. Um, they had space for an extra person to live and take care of things for them. And that was me. But that was also where I began thinking I needed to, um, my, my practice needed to be not painting pictures so much as it needed to be engaging with other people. And that is where, where I decided to become a nurse. Now I was, you know, a very young person, knew nothing about what nursing really entailed. But it was through this connection with this community that um, I was sort of feeling that I needed to do more, more than what I was doing, or that's what led me in that direction anyway. Um, and I did a lot of work um, for this project called the AIDS Project. And we went into, you know, rural communities and um, I assessed did a community health assessment. And at that time, it was like two years of assessing a community before you even, you know, decided mm-hmm. to do an intervention. So that, that was kind of where all that went to. And I would, I got involved with taking um, women for their methadone treatment and driving them across. This was rural Maine where I was. And, you know, really listening, listening to people's stories in the car with somebody for an hour so that they could get, um, you know, methadone treatment at the time. So, that that project offered a lot of services to people, um, and I was engaging with people at that level as a volunteer, as a nursing student, as a human being. So, yeah. And so then after that, you decided when you were done with your program, hey, I want to do community health. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole other kind of um, story about n- nursing. For me, it's always been like, oh, I, I need to learn this in order to provide this for this community. And I had a, a lot of different, um, you know, community-based physicians, and um, I worked for uh, homeless healthcare for the homeless organization. And again, it was there that I said, "Geez, what people in this community need is like a nurse practitioner, <laughs> because they, I'm giving them like a, you know, a taxi voucher to get to the community health center to get their healthcare needs met." So I kept developing sort of my skill set based on what I felt like I, I needed to provide. 
Um, and it's been, a, a, you know, a long path, uh, different things that I've done in education, but always there has been woven this idea that my nursing practice is addressing those social determinants. It's paying attention to the whole context of, of what people need. You know, I can remember this one story of this, um, this, um, Haitian woman had, she, she did not speak English. She was here in the States and she was in living in a homeless shelter. And at that time, we would like, um, meet the mom right in the hospital and help advocate and get them back to the shelter and things like that with the baby. And there was this car seat program that all people would get discharged with a car seat. Okay. This sounds mm-hmm. like a, this is it probably sounds like a silly example, but. Mm-mm. And so this was a city hospital, safety net hospital. So I just assumed that, of course, this mom and baby would have the car seat, which was needed to get into the cab, which was needed to get home. And so I saw mom without and baby without car seat. Um, and she was getting into the cab and the cab driver's looking at me and I'm looking at the mom and he's like, okay with it. Um, and, and so I, off they go in without the car seat. And I'm just thinking this, everyone gets a car seat. So I have to go through like, you know, all these cases and I yeah. can find out like, where, why didn't this mom have her car seat? And they go, well, we, well she's uninsured. So we don't give car seats to people who don't have insurance. I said, but I thought this was a free program. Well, it is, but it isn't. And it went on and on and on. And so then a friend of my, my, yeah. And a friend of myself, we started going out and buying our own car seats. So we had like this stash of car seats, but that's not really addressing the structural problem. So I, I could see in my own career when I was doing the work of justice, I was often going around. I wasn't going direct. I was doing the work around in order to address what some individual, not someone in the system needed, but what, what one individual person needed. And that may sound like a small example, but it, 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 it is a metaphor for something bigger, right? Yeah. I mean, if there's one person falling through the cracks, you know, there are many, many more, right? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So some of those little, um, not little, but they, they have made me more diligent and trying to see where those cracks are. Yeah, it makes makes me think about trying to get the vaccine right now. Um, for those people that English isn't their first language, that they're maybe living in shelters, that they, they might qualify for the vaccine, but how in the world can you get it to those? I mean, we like it's hard enough for people who English is their first language and they're tech savvy to try to locate how to get a vaccine. Like what about our most vulnerable patient populations that are without access to need like a vaccine the, the most? Yeah. yeah. I, I think of that a lot and I see how it's, it's kind of um, playing out too. I had this experience trying to get, you know, even uh, uh, many homebound people. Well, I guess I read this article in the, in the the newspaper, well, over 1 million people are homebound and can't get out of their homes to, to get the vaccine. Mm. But and on top of that, there are those other complexities of tech. And I know in, in our neighborhood where a lot of volunteers have been set up to try to help people with appointments, but even then you have to know how to get to those people to make those appointments for you and get you there mm-hmm. and speak. Uh, yeah, the tech, the tech barriers huge right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the social determinants of health like 
for someone out there who hasn't heard that, like, what does that mean? And yeah, why, so- why, why should we care? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think I know why we should care about. So the social determinants of health are, are the things that happen in our everyday life that are really part of our social structure. And these can be things like our socioeconomic status. Um, they can be things like our race and ethnicity and then the, uh, or our age, our gender identity, our sexual orientation, and how those are, um, how those aspects of our identity are determined by society. So whether or not um, there's ageism or racism or there's uh, under-resourced opportunities because of where we may live geographically or if we have a home or not. Um, or, so, so they're multiple, but they're, when we think about them, we think about how they're constructed by the social world that we live in. So they're very contextual to us and they determine our health. They, they very much do. And we have lots and lots of research. And this is an area where I don't think we need any more data. We need now action on what we know causes poor health outcomes. Causes mm-hmm. so, so we could look at um, race in terms of um, infant mortality among uh, black women. Uh, it's still very high. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's even higher right now. So there's something in our health system that is... Um, also unable to uh, offer the, the resources or the ability to meet the needs of, of people in general. So in part of that is, you know, we have a very fragmented healthcare system that doesn't really um, address social, social needs, social, the social needs of people, where they live, how they live, who they live with, whether they're um, being victims of uh, violence or exclusion is often not part of the, you know, intake form or even, even well understood, um, in, in some cases, in many cases. So I, does that, is that a good enough explanation? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I was thinking about, I don't know if you saw this article in the New York Times, but, you know, data one year out from, the pandemic, when the pandemic started, it says, you know, okay, so in the US, our life expectancy has gone down by one year if you're Caucasian and 2.9 years if you're, or 2.7 if you're a person of color. And um, like that's just an example, right? Of, I mean, I think obviously this pandemic has disproportionately affected people of color and um, their outcomes have been worse and the impact on the community has just been. Tough. I guess I'm wondering what your thoughts are about about that, if or if you even saw that article. Yeah, I did, I, I did not see that particular one, but um, I've been following uh, really the 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 disparity. The there's a few things. One is that I think we're still underestimating in those numbers. I think we still don't we, st- we haven't in many parts of the country done really very good data collection on. Um, mm. uh, on the demographic data. The other is, I think, when we look at um, even things like uh, we have a real sort of neoliberal white supremacist kind of uh, backdrop in our country. And so, you know, a lot of people are um, working. It, it's the context of people's lives, um, you know, frontline workers and uh in the um, service economy, and that's where a lot of uh, people who are persons of color may be working or living in intergenerational homes. And so 
there are other contexts that we could better understand to help protect people and pro- provide them with the resources that they need. Um, but I still think a lot of it has to do with um, where those resources are going. So I think it's very sad. And I think it's a time, again, there's a lot of talk about reckoning, reckoning with these disparities, reckoning with um, lots of things. But then at the same time, um, you know, we have Amazon workers who, who can't even take, go to the bathroom, right? And we, and we have this huge mm. money making industry, right? And it's how, wow. yeah, you know, it's like, it's hard to balance those two things. I mean, we could, we could like make an impact right there by giving people, um, you know, safe working conditions. So I, I think that data is probably, probably underestimating. It's, and it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of on that note, I don't know if there's a magic bullet, but what can we as nurses and healthcare providers do to show up better for our patients? Like, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I'll say, um, I'll, and I'll also talk, you know, bring this back around to nurse stories. Sometimes, you know, part of it is our own understanding of, um, of social problems, but also the positive aspect of social change that we can bring and nurses do bring. So I, I don't want to think that nurses aren't doing better. I think nurses mm-hmm. have this really, really important proximity to the issues. And that's where we can have uh, a place to want. You can't improve anything or make any social change unless you understand it, unless you're there next to it, unless you're, you're living in proximity with it. Um, it's, I think it's a really key part of, of what we do. At the same time, we may feel that these issues are just too big. Um, what can we do about it? Because we do work often on an individual level, even in community or public health spaces, we're often doing something on an individual community level or, or family level or, and that kind of thing. But we can be aware of uh, the context of the people we're working with and the things that are going on in their lives. And there may be issues we have affinity to as well that we can be leaders on in, um, in our society. I think when I look at the profession of nursing too, I think uh, hopefully there can be more models that are nursing led um, because sometimes we're in structures that don't, don't allow us to even slow down long enough to be able to see the context of the people we're working with. So I think nurses have, you know, the, the front line of nursing has shown up a lot during the pandemic. And it's, and I want to, I want to also honor that. And I don't, I think people going to work in a really difficult time and a lot of sacrifices that nurses have made, but also doing the job of nursing, which is so important and, and can be done in a way that's respectful, promotes dignity and starts to be aware of places where we can have social change. You know, one of the things I think about a lot lately because of the, the students uh, have my the, one of the classes I'm teaching right now is on a palliative care, and this and when I talk about this social justice issues or inability to access palliative care in our health care system, the students are surprised by that. But at the same time, they say, "Well, there's not enough time. You know, there's not enough time to be actively listening. There's not enough time." And and at a higher level within nursing um, policy level, we have the you know, documents like the nursing essentials and the new essentials and all these other ways we're looking at the future of nursing. And time pressure is built into all of those. 
And so it's hard to make a change when you're operating in time pressure. So, so that I think I would like to fight time pressure in our nursing careers. I'd like to make there be more space for nurses to do, um, to have time to do their job uh, and do it well. And also have time to listen to patients and families and communities needs and also have time to listen to one another. Um, that's where change, change begins way back there. I think I believe, I don't know. What do you think, Nicole? Oh man, what a tall order. I'm just thinking about how, you know, over the years I've been a nurse for 12 years and it feels like, you know, because of the money crunch with, oh, insurance companies not reimbursing hospitals as much, you know, like it's been, nurses have been asked to do more and more and more at the bedside, right? And I do think that it does take real active listening and being with your patients and compassion and understanding. And, and a lot of that does take time. Right. And I don't know, it's a, it's a, it's a, quite the question to ask, how can we carve out more time when we're being asked to do more with less? Yeah. Yeah. That's always, and again, that's a resource thing, right? And we're looking at the mm-hmm. system and the structure yeah. and who's been, who's, I mean, who's been important. I mean, who, 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 in the ICU where you work, right, Nicole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, during this time, um, yeah, that's- I mean, it, yeah. And you know, you can just see folks who haven't had as the same safety net, right? Um, just their health has been impacted more. I mean, that's anecdotally, right? That feels anecdotal, but um, yeah, I was just thinking about like when there was a day I was working in the COVID ICU and I was all in my gear and I look like a space alien or an astronaut <laughs> or something. And along with my like friends who also were, dressed the same way and we're like in this room taking care of this patient and English was not his first language and he was delirious and disoriented and we weren't helping with with anything because we didn't look like regular nurses right I mean I don't know I just that left an impression on me how hard it would be just and from a cultural language perspective to not be able to like that. It goes back to the Haitian woman, right. Who didn't get her car seat. Like we probably, there was probably some language component that contributed to her access. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, I think the other hard thing is you, you, you really come from a place of wanting to ease that suffering and sometimes mm-hmm. you, you, you can't. And, and even when we're talking about issues of social justice, these are long, these are long visions, it, 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 but, but not giving up, you know, and, and having to be with suffering and so many weighing so many issues that have a lot to do with justice and fairness and equity and, 
and how to how to be when it's not okay like how to be there with with that that person in the icu who's confused by the way you're looking and you can't communicate and um yeah it's, it's it, you know it's a long a long process to some things are not some things we can show up for right away and and say this is you know this is unequal or this is unfair we need to change this but there's so much suffering that feels like it's out it's from a system of exclusion versus inclusion mm. but you know I, you know yeah oh no i just had a question for you and that was i think you sort of said maybe in the beginning of the episode about you know there's the social determinants of health and i feel, i feel like you said something like we have to kind of believe that they exist or like how can we, um, and we didn't talk about talking about this, but how can we check our biases and yeah, so that we can provide better care for folks? Yeah. So, so first just, just to clarify too, like we have a lot of data on social determinants of health. So we know the percentages, we know the numbers, but I've also seen that data kind of used again and certain identities um, mm-hmm. to make assumptions about people to say, well, that's, you know, you're in this group. That's why you, you know, you're higher risk for COVID. No, I'm at higher risk for COVID because I'm a frontline worker. That's why I'm at higher risk. Mm. So, so it's, it's being careful that we don't use the data to try to tell a story that isn't the story that, you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course, of course you have, you know, of course you developed um hepatitis c or whatever you know you you're from this community whatever the thing is mm-hmm. so i think we always have to just be sure like especially with big data and it's great we've got data but how are we using it to define people explain things justify things and you know to really be careful because sometimes we can use that information on social determinants to actually uh, blame or frame people for their health disparity. In our own practices around bias and uh, prejudice, I uh, think we, we have to, and this is again where we have to reckon with the history of the, the United States. We have to understand that, that it's, you know, I think this is another reason why if you take some time and reflect on what you're thinking about a person or what you're thinking about a uh, trying to construct a social situation, let's say, if you really think that's what's happening, you know, you go into somebody's room, for example, or you meet someone on the street, and you think you know about them because of their diagnosis or this brief bit of information you have about them. I think that's when you have to step back and say, you know, I I used to have this practice, healthcare has changed so much, I just want you to recognize me. I'm like, you know, (laughs) from when I started, I'm, yeah, but there was a time when you had like a paper chart, you know, and I oh, used right, to say, right. right, I'm going to put the paper chart down before I, before I read it. I'm going to, I'm going to put that down and go meet the person first. And so that kind of became a practice mm-hmm. to help interrupt my own way of constructing who that person was based on something that was in their, their, um, or having, having re- reactions to that, being aware of how we're thinking about people, um, before we even get to know them is a good start because I think we make a lot of assumptions. It's also, I think when, when people are, are sick, by the time people end up 
having access to nursing, they're often sick. It's not, we don't have a very good preventative health care system where nurses are, are working, uh, or a public health system. We know that. It's very obvious from our outcomes of COVID. But if we stop, when we see people when they're very sick, uh, things like blame and bias and even grief that may be, may have some level of anger around it may, may pop up in our experience with people. So we just, I think, have to have a very reflexive practice. And one, and one way about that is just thinking about it, reflecting on how we're being, how we're behaving on the assumptions we're making on how we give, uh, you know, sign off with other clinicians, how other clinicians talk to us about people. Um, is there, can, you know, like I've seen, yeah. yeah. So just, yeah, I've seen it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. That's really, really good advice. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just thinking about all the people that are going to listen to this episode and I'm just like, this is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Nicole. Thank you. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And that is you are part of the organization that runs nursestory.org, this digital storytelling workshop for nurses. Can you, what is Nurse Story and why is nursing storytelling so important? Yeah, so Nurse Story and the larger uh, organization Story Center that it, that it is in is a tremendous place and space. So if your listeners have a chance to go on to nursestory.org and, and check out some of the stories and even some of the other stories around other um, many social justice issues that the Story Center uh, addresses. And so the Nurse Story Project started with um, Sue Hagerdorn and actually Daniel was working, Daniel Weinshanker was working at, um, nurse, at, at Story Center. And Sue Hagerdorn is a nurse who then became a documentary filmmaker and had taken a workshop um, with Story Center. And they came together and uh, decided, wow, we need to tell the stories of nurses. And then I got on board and I became part of this kind of trio. And um, there's been some amazing um, story work. So basically, and it's changed now with the pandemic being mostly virtual story circles, but it's this idea that nurses come together, they um, may tell a story about a certain idea or aspect, like let's say social justice in nursing, or uh, there's been some great stories by forensic nurses, all sorts of different different people. But, but together, we're nurses telling our perspective. And usually these are, these are first person stories and they uh, integrate on uh, the digital mediums of so pictures and video and music and noise and sounds. And they can be really powerful three minute videos. And, and the, the, the part about it that is, I think really important is it's an investment. It takes some time. It's within a group of people. So you have that group, um, feel that can be also quite supportive. And often, you know, the real uh, impetus for this was often nurses have stories, right? You shared with me a story. I shared with you a story. And those are unheard. They're they're not really, we don't really get to tell them to other people. Again, we may not have time or it may not seem appropriate or so we're holding all these stories and they can be really helpful for us to tell. And they can also be really helpful for other people to listen to. And listening, I would say, uh, is as important as the telling. So we're listening to each other as we draft our stories. 
Yeah, they're they're really powerful and perspective taking. And I really feel like that's a an action that supports nursing. It supports us. It's it's helps us heal. Um, as well as offers uh, you know, a lot of people really don't know, I mean, in my experience, what nurses are holding, the stories, experiences, mm-hmm. the work that they do. I think it's largely um culture is largely dominated by other voices in healthcare. So, um, yeah. Is, is that any, any other questions about that? No, no. It's interesting. I'm just listening to you talk about it. I, I mean, I think this is the same reason that I started the podcast, right? Because we hold all these, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories and, so be- some are so beautiful and so tragic and there's lots of lessons to learn about ourselves and about each other and we see our family members and our patients and you know like how does that even impact us so there's just it's so rich but I think there's something special I don't know what it is but maybe you said you said it was healing um there's also- for us to come together yeah and, and you know I've used like not used I've shared like in teaching, I use the nurse story stories all the time. You know, they're really, they're, they really bring another dimension into, to the nursing education that I do. Um, you know, share them with colleagues. Um, and so they're, they have a, we, I recently had the nurse story film festival at, where, over at UMass Amherst last year, actually around this time. It was very different. It was like the, one of the last social get togethers. It was actually before I'm getting lost what day it is. But anyways, um, the, uh, people who had made, uh, stories had come back for a little reunion and talked about their story and the process and seeing it again in a public venue like that and how they felt about it. And it was really interesting. Like, would, would you change your story now? And and most people said no. Um, they may have changed since then, but their story was still, you know, really really important to them. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, storytelling is uh, obviously long documented, or there's always oral storytelling passed on from generations and generations and. It's just a very interesting, we all just are riveted by a good story. I don't know what that, what that is. Yeah, I I think it helps us make meaning of things too, you know, and I think that's really powerful to have opportunities to make meaning out of things that can be difficult or, um, yeah. And, and one of the, um, story center mottos is, um, you you tell the story you want to tell. So, it can be it can be any story. You know, can, it, there there are elements of humor and again grief and sadness and angst and you know, different different perspectives that come through. Um, and there's something about the digital story that I think, and there's probably some scientist somewhere who knows what this is, but it, it integrates our attention in a different way because there's images and sound and you know just like when we're watching a movie or something, we're 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 paying attention in a different way. So it's create, it has a creative uh, edge to it. But I also think it brings nurses together in a way that is really, um, it's really powerful. 
so there are some great nurse, you know, there nursery workshops that are still going on. We're doing this project right now with the Nurse Family Partnership, which is, um, you know, all across the United States. And uh, these are home visiting uh, nurses. And there's just a really powerful collection there that has, we began this at the beginning of the pandemic and as a response to how their jobs have changed so much during the pandemic. Um, but also at, at the, you know, with the reckoning with racism work. So we have stories that are looking at both COVID experiences and um, sort of anti-racist responses that are pretty powerful on, on uh, the nursery website. I'll definitely check it out. I, I did talk with Daniel recently and he was just sharing just the important work uh, of nurse family partnership and those relationships with those nurses have with their long-term families and, and also the work that the anti-racist work. So gosh, it's such important work. Thank you so much, Rianne. Do you, um, oh, and everybody out there, if you want to look into nurse story, it's nursestory.org um, and sign up for an online digital workshop. The, do you have any last closing thoughts for the podcast or for today's, today's episode? Yeah. Um, I guess I just would say, you know, I, I, this is a theoretical idea, but in it's, it's emancipatory nursing praxis is a theory that was um, offered offered by, I think, uh, Chin and Crane. Peggy Chin was one of the authors on this theory, but I'm sorry, I don't have everyone's name. But the emancipatory praxis is this idea that once we know of something, a social justice issue, for example, we find a way to act on that issue. And sometimes that's as simple as coming together with other nurses to talk about it. And sometimes that starts the momentum to move towards social change in ways that are you know, helpful for where we're working, like in, in a very local way, like where we're living, where we're working, how we're being with each other, um, all that matters. So I'm a real proponent in that our actions show what matter, but as I'm also a real proponent in that small things really matter. So I know we think of social justice as a really big topic and it is, um, but just, just to, to, to know the small, the, Every moment matters. That's all I guess. And it's more than now, more than ever, I guess, right? With mm-hmm. sort of living in the moment as a way of, uh, you know, balancing our response to the pandemic. I want to thank you, Nicole, for this podcast series. I'm looking forward to listening to them and um, maybe an unwound retreat. There's something there with yes. nurse story and an unwound retreat that could not be. There you go. There you go. That would be so awesome. Yeah. That would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I um I wish you well and hopefully sometime we could meet, I don't know, post pandemic if I'm out over in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, I'd love to say what's up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if people are interested in your work, um, I mean, obviously I'll link you up in the episode, but can they just find you at, I mean, I know if you Google your name, Rayanne LeBlanc, they'll see you're easily identifiable at the University of Massachusetts, but yeah, if they want could, to contact you, what's the best way? Yeah, to email is great. I'm on the email. Um, and that's cool. kind of, it's R-G-L-E-B-L-A-N at umass.edu. So I'd love to hear from people. Yeah. And for everybody out there, I Googled you 
um, and looked because I was interested in your your papers. You have been published. I don't know, 40, 50 times or you're a prolific writer also. Thank you for the, all of the work that you do, you're doing and for your students and for the, for nursing and uh, for people. Thank you, Nicole. I think uh, this is also a really great podcast for nursing students. So I'm going to, I'm going to share that with, um, with my students too. So this has been a yeah. great delight. It's been a gift and thanks everyone for listening. I wish everyone Thank safe you. and well-being and balance and, and just corny as it sounds, feeling the love for one another right now. Oh, lovely. That is lovely. I always, I mean, we definitely need to offer each other grace and kindness and space and just, I don't know, patience. And so in this difficult time, hopefully there's, I have hope on the horizon, but yeah. As always, I'm going to close this episode out by saying stay safe and stay sane, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.